0: Off trail, on trail, they're all one thing, aren't they? Hello, my name is Constantine, hiker, rambler, owner, and founder of 11 Skies. We created a podcast here to highlight and represent what it takes to make through hiking, long distance backpacking, adventures, outdoor life possible. Questions that focus on the how and the who, not necessarily the what. We all share this love for what we call the outdoors. But everybody's different. The diversity is what makes it wonderful. And just like the trails themselves, the diversity of how people make this life possible and how people continue to live the life that they truly love is what really has inspired us and makes us want to continue to learn about these people. So this is the Off-Trail Podcast, where, yeah, we might talk about trails from here and there. It's hard to make a hiker not ramble about trail systems. But mostly, we're going to learn about the people. We're going to learn about... What makes it possible and how they function and how they manage and how they strategize their time off-trail, make on-trail possible. Enough of our rambles. Let's just get into it, shall we? Hey y'all, Constantine here. I just wanted to pop in here before the show got started to... Once again, let you know it's going to be a little bit different of a show. Huh, this is an ongoing theme lately, isn't it? I actually had a co-host on to interview Little Buddha, so Legend, or Jeff Garmeyer, agreed to co-host an episode with me where we both get to chat with Little Buddha, as Legend had a prior relationship with Little Buddha and has known him for over 10 years at this point. I thought it would add a fun little flavor to the convo, and um, let... It loosened up a little bit and kind of let us just flow into things that I might not personally have thought of. So, so yeah, I thought it was fun. Um, and if you guys thought it was fun, too, let, let me know with a comment or shoot us an email because co-hosting them could be a fun little thing we could go into. As always, Magpie is the kind of go-to co-host, but it could also be fun if Legend started co-hosting some more episodes with us. So, yeah, please shoot us an email or leave us a comment and we would like to hear what you guys think. And... Also, as this show has continued to grow, we really appreciate all the love and support. If you guys can, please shoot us a rating over on Apple iTunes. Not iTunes. It is Apple Podcasts. I don't know why I combine the two. Please leave us a rating over on Apple Podcasts if you really enjoy the show. It helps us be able to branch out and reach more hikers, more outdoors people, and more stories. So, as always, we thank you, and let's get into the show. All right, welcome back to the Off Trail Podcast. My name is Constantine and today I have the pleasure of speaking with the one and only Little Buddha. Little Buddha, thanks for hopping on with us.
1: You're welcome. That's quite the introduction.
0: Oh, that's how it always <laughs> starts, man. It always starts very formal and then it devolves very quickly.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm all about the sliding down part, but okay, let's go.
0: <laughs> oh, it, it slides down quick, man. Don't don't you worry. <laughs> uh, so this episode also is gonna be a little bit of a different format because I'm going to be co-hosting this episode with Legend, who also just finished a 115 mile, 15 mile race. I guess there was no cap on it until you were done, so Legend, I guess you can go through that a little bit.
2: Yeah, I just ran in 115 circles over 28 hours, and um, it only ended when the, per- the other person who was still in the race decided to quit. So at 114 miles, he quit, and I ran one more mile, and then my prize was that I didn't have to run anymore.
1: <laughs> I was going to ask you like, what, what your prize, your trophy was, but okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's like, here's a chair, and you don't have to go back out there.
1: Oh, my wow. gosh. That's incredible. That's incredible. You kids today.
2: <laughs> yeah, we just keep coming up with dumber stuff, and I keep
0: signing up. i got to say, the concept of that race, Legend, it does sound kind of dumb. Like, I, I can't think of anything more torturous than not knowing when you can finish a race.
2: Well, I mean, we could all drive from Mexico to Canada, too. We all chose to walk. So
1: yeah. Well, no <laughs> yeah, Yeah, that's true. Very true. <laughs> so you
2: hit, I think there's a through line here that maybe we choose the least efficient way to do things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you hit too close to home there. That hurts. I guess as we uh, start popping into this episode, Little Buddha... What we kind of okay. do to set the base of it and kind of free flow from there is we start with a very open-ended question and see where you take it. So the first question, who are you? Who am I? Who are you?
1: Oh, oh okay. <laughs> wow, well, we're, we're starting big then. Um,
0: it starts very big, yes. Uh, <laughs> okay.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could answer this in a couple of ways. Um, I'll give you a couple of options. Are you wanting like a metaphysic? type way of answering of who we are in the universe or like who am I like on this plate (laughs) 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 no no, I'm kidding you know I always just say the same thing I'm I'm a nobody man I'm a nobody to the world probably a somebody to someone out on trail or somewhere behind their computer I I don't know but yeah I'm just like another hiker I'm another wonder in the woods stumbling around maybe seeking a little bit of truth I dabble in I guess it's called through hiking now, you know, I, I run sometimes I'm a uncle. My family thinks I'm kind of hysterical sometimes, I guess. I, I don't know, but, but yeah, that's basically who I am. <laughs> it's yeah, not very interesting. you
2: kind of good at tennis, but not as
1: good as me. <laughs> okay. Now, so I'm, I'm actually pretty good at tennis, <laughs> but I'm an even better ping pong player.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's that's who I am. I mean, I I write too, I guess, and um, that's it. That's that's who I am, Constantine.
0: Did you say you dabble in through hiking?
1: Oh, well, you know, I dabble in walking, I guess. Just just a tiny bit, huh? A few trails in a few months at a time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. Uh... I'm a really good stumbler though, out in the woods. Oh. Like, I, I'm really good at that.
2: You and me. Yeah, and you, uh, you call yourself a professional because you try to
1: through-hike without hiking on days where it rains, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so yes, I, I guess we should clear that out right now because Legend and I, we, we have a history. He knows me. And um, I have a pretty strict no hiking in rain policy. I get it. <laughs> and so that is uh, challenging, quite challenging when you're out hiking and uh, I guess through-hiking or exploring. Um, so I'm a big fan of getting out of the weather. I'm a very uh fair weather hiker <laughs> how, <laughs> But that's with the caveat of knowing that, you know, if you have to you can pull out a big jacket.
0: How how strict is this no hiking and rain policy? Is it like you see a little <laughs> oh, drizzle, a little drizzle? You know, or a little in the mist? beginning,
1: in the beginning it was pretty, you know, maybe I might go out of my tent or get out of my tent. I might leave this hostel or hotel. And that's when I was like twenty. I'm I'm 46 now, and it's pretty strict now. I mean, yeah, it's it's if there's a little bit of dew, I I, I don't leave my tent. No,
2: <laughs> I love that coming from someone who has tens of thousands of miles. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think you guys have probably heard this. People always say the trail is going to be there tomorrow, and yeah. you know what? They're right. It's always going to be there.
2: <laughs> what <laughs> so scooter? Pluto- Data preaches
1: Patience. Patience. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Patience.
0: What What does that <laughs> transition into with your snow policy? If you don't want to hike in rain, what about your snow policy? Is there a maybe yeah. if it's fluffy enough?
1: Yeah. So if it's snowing, it's not hiking season. Um, that's <laughs> kind of a, that's my perspective on that. You know, I mean, I, I'll do it. You know, it's not my favorite thing to do. I was just hiking this morning in, in Kansas, where I am right now we just had a pretty big storm come through the last couple of days. And I took our dog out into the woods out behind our farm and did some hiking. And, but I was bundled up, you know, I think it's different when you're actually out there through hiking. You know, I'm, I'm a very proficient reader of weather reports. (laughs) So, and I'm also a very strategic hiker in that way. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, as you get older, you just kind of decide what you will and will not
0: do. I guess. <laughs> I, I would say that's very fair. I would say that's very fair sure. that you're just like, you know what? Th- like you said, the trail is going to be there tomorrow. Why do I have to suffer yep. today? I know I can suffer again tomorrow. Like if I just push out a big mile day, I like it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah, I might have yeah, to hop yeah. on
0: that mentality. All
2: right. So, so speaking of the trail will be there tomorrow. How did you get started with the Le-
0: hiking? Oh, before oh, you before okay. you answer that little Buddha, can I ask Legend something yeah. real quick?
2: Sure, of course. Legend,
0: can, is, can you? Is there any way you can increase your audio? You're coming through kind of softly. Um, I don't
1: know. I'll turn. Oh, the he's a little. Legend is super dainty, so I, I don't know if people know that. But <laughs> I'll start yeah, yelling. Sure. yelling, I'll <laughs> yelling.
0: <laughs> super dainty. <laughs>
2: I'll, I'll be a little louder. I may have lost my voice a little out there on my insanity yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right on.
0: Okay. Yeah. Maybe being a little louder would be perfect. It's just kind of every so often it kind of like peters out.
2: I don't take criticism well, but I'll try.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to word that politely. I'm like, okay, I know he ran a race. Don't don't poke him. Don't poke him.
2: Yeah. yeah. All right. So how did you get started with through hiking?
1: Oh, wow. Sure. Um, so I guess when I was a baby Buddha uh, uh-huh. growing up in Kansas, you know, my, my family, we used to take like summer vacation out into Colorado. And, uh, I, you know, I started learning backpacking and hiking skills really through my uncle, who really enjoyed going outdoors. But, you know, I, I grew up in Kansas. And what's, what's Kansas known for? Cornfields, wheat fields, and books, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Books were really the uh, alternate to the other two. And so I guess as a young person, I was a, a prolific reader. Um, and I had a pretty wild imagination as well. So there are a couple of like books that really just influenced me and writers and artists when I was a very young person. Some of these authors I think you might have heard of, John Muir. (laughs) Uh, Yeah,
0: vaguely, vaguely.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's it's it's. I remember picking up his "A Thousand Mile Walk to the Gulf," and I think a lot of people know John Muir as a conservationist, but he was actually you know and also a writer, but he to me was one of the first through hikers or long distance walkers, right? And I read that when I was like maybe 13 or 14. I just remember seeing it at the local library. Another book that was really influential on me is On the Road, and I know that kind of sounds cliché today by Jack Kerouac, but um it, it was also very influential. You know, Jack wrote about all these characters out west and hitchhiking and exploring the american west and so those two books kind of sparked this imagination and drive in me to like get out of this small midwestern town in the middle of kansas and maybe start exploring so so there was that are you guys i'm assuming you guys are familiar with uh ray jardine he wrote the pc okay that's good i mean i nowadays i don't know i say that sometimes and people are like who's that and you know very sadly (laughs) but you know for for people listening that might not be familiar with ray's work work, he is kind of like the godfather of all this ultralight through hiking and came up with all these different techniques but he wrote this book called pct hikers handbook and so the, the reason why i mentioned those is because they really were Uh, instrumental and kind of sparking that imagination right even giving me permission to get out there and start exploring and so that's kind of how I got into backpacking and through hiking were cultural and riding influences there were no like popular through hikers or I guess it's kind of popular now but like major through hikers I knew back then so, uh, it was, it was literary influences that kind of got me out there.
0: So what, what sparked you first then? So after reading all the books, um, and then kind of having that thought of, oh, this might be something I want to do. What was your kind of first introduction? Was it the AT, PCT, something different?
1: Yeah, no. So my very first through hike was on the John Mayer trail in 1995 and, uh, I had uh, been a camp counselor at a camp called Chile, Colorado camps up in Estes Park and the season had finished. So I was bumming around in Boulder, Colorado. And this is actually when I picked up that PCT hikers handbook by Ray Jardine. Ray was a big um, climber and also outdoorsman. Uh, Just to let Constantine no really quick it sounds like you're chopping wood it does. Um, I don't know if you can hear me
0: <laughs> it does it's I think okay. it's I think it's legend
1: oh okay yeah but
0: yeah there's, there's a crackle I think coming from uh from your end it's go-
1: oh it's gone now it's
0: gone now yes
1: yeah and please don't edit this out. This is great. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Constantine, I was bumming around after my uh, season as a camp counselor up at uh, Chile, Colorado Camps. And, you know, I, I I saw this book in this store in Boulder, Colorado, big climbing community. Ray had come out with that book, I think, like, in 93 or 94. But I had picked it up and I was like, oh, what's this? PCT Hikers Handbook? What's the PCT? And so in there, he also talked about the John Muir Trail.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: And I was like, you know what? I've got like almost a month before college uh, session starts. So why don't I just, you know, all these cultural influences from earlier, right? Jack Kerouac on the road, hitchhiking, all that. Why don't I just hitchhike out to to California and hike the John Muir Trail? That sounds kind of cool. And so, you know, I was a pretty young kid. I was 19 and very idealistic and... You know, beatnik culture was very inspirational for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was already kind of rejecting standard narratives and like looking into kish and counterculture influences. And I was like, you know, I I think that sounds kind of cool. I I think I could hitchhike, you know, out to California and I'm just going to do this trail. So it took me like three days to hitchhike up to Yosemite Valley. Mm -hmm. I showed up with uh, a teeny tiny backpack, a Jansport. I don't know if they're still in business.
0: (laughs) I have Um, one, yeah.
1: Backpack. (laughs) Oh, okay, are they? Yeah. Yeah. My uh, gear references might be outdated. Um, I tend to hold on to things until they fail and then I'll replace it.
0: I
3: love
1: it. Anyway, I had this this Jansport backpack that I used for school and also for backpacking, Mm -hmm. Um, a childhood sleeping bag, you know, a tarp. Uh, the Ray Way, right? Go as light as possible, and some tennis shoes, and I ended up hiking at the time the 195-mile like, JMT. That was my first kind of uh, through hike, and that was it. That was the beginning of the madness.
2: So where do you where do you stay? It took three days to hitchhike out there. Where do you stay those nights in between? You
1: know, <laughs> yeah,
2: that's <to> <laughs> to hitchhike.
1: Hey, so I I got pretty lucky. I I had one straight hitch from Estes Park through, uh, what is that uh, national park up there, Rocky Mountain National Park. These uh, people were driving out west, and so they took me as far as Utah. And then I was bumming around uh, Salt Lake City and basically walked out to the edge of town and picked up another hitch. So I didn't have to really stay anywhere, right? I did camp with this family uh, that picked me up in Estes Park. We camped like halfway between uh, Utah and Colorado. I can't remember the name of the town now. It was just outside of town on some BLM land. So, you know, that is one thing I think will resonate with you guys and probably your listeners. If you just put yourself out there, things generally work out with other people. Like, if you go out there, stick your thumb out, you know, you're going to get a hitch into town, right, if you're through hiking or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it might sound kind of crazy now, but in the 90s, it was really still fairly safe to hitchhike back and forth across the country and also train hop as well, although that was always a little bit more dangerous. But, you know, I I think there were a lot of people in the mid-90s exploring, right, because the 80s was all about consumption And building wealth and gold and you know and all these people were trying to get rich Mm -hmm. and i think there was a a definite uh counter narrative to that building among young people and so i mean you know you get the book what into the wild you know i mean uh, christopher mccandless was one of those kids i happen to be as well um and you know and it's just kind of what we wanted to do we wanted to not again just reject these like narrative values of building wealth and like you know accumulating things i think that was pretty popular um in the 90s
0: so would you notice a difference because what it sounds like is back in the 90s broadly hitching was kind of quote unquote easier but i would i would think nowadays hitching at least around the popular three trails like the atpct mm. and cdt these people that are picking up hikers or people trying to get into town they know about the trail so it makes those hitches easier so i guess it's It's narrowed down where you can get hitches easier, maybe?
1: Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, you know, and I think when I think about it now, I just kind of stumbled upon this. I mean, Estes Park is is pretty close to Rocky Mountain National Park. Uh, There were a lot of backpackers and hikers and climbers that would hitch around that area. So getting the hitch was not a problem. And I remember being in Salt Lake City thinking, I'm not going to get a ride because I'm in the middle of this huge town. Mm -hmm. So... You know and i think that's a strategy through hikers do today even you walk to the edge of the town right when you're hitching into to do a resupply Mm -hmm. it's hard to pick up a hitch right in the middle of the town you walk to the edge of town, and you get picked up immediately well sometimes you know sometimes (laughs) you wait a little longer but yeah no i I think that it kind of uh was still in vogue right To, to really explore and i felt like you know i was just this little kid from you know the midwest and i had read all these books you know, all these authors and uh, writers had had all these experiences that I wanted to have as well. Mm-hmm. And so uh, maybe I was just a little naive. <laughs> maybe <laughs> I got lucky. I feel like that happens quite a bit when you're out exploring. You just are lucky, right? You're yeah. lucky you don't die. You're lucky that, you know, a car doesn't run over you when you're road or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was just lucky. And um, yeah, it's what I do.
2: So speaking of, exploring and being lucky and taking a left turn how do you go from Kansas to ending up in New York City
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: okay. That's a good all one. right so yeah I, I don't I, I mean you know again I, I if, if you guys don't know some of these cultural references I'm happy to explain you do, are you guys familiar with Andy Warhol
0: I've heard the name is he the painter or yeah
1: yeah he's he's kind of a Abstractionist? I mean he's, he's really a go-ahead legend Yeah. I know about Andy Warhol. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, Constantine, he's, uh, you're probably familiar with that like Campbell's soup can painting. It's a print. It's a a repetitive Campbell's soup across. I think there are like 32 images. That's probably his most famous, but Mm. he's painted people like Marilyn Monroe, you know, anyway, he was um, this New York based artist And I remember in National Geographic, they had done this like big spread of Andy's work. Now, what does a New York artist that is downtown have to do with anything outdoors? Well, Andy had done this spring print called Endangered Animals. And what it was, was it was this feature of a Siberian tiger. I think there was like an African elephant, acorn ram, bald eagle, orangutan, right? All these like endangered animals. And he was bringing, using his work, right, to bring attention to the fact that these animals were endangered. And I thought that that was such an interesting dichotomy that this New York big city pop art icon was worried about endangered animals. And I was like, that's kind of cool, right? You know, I mean, like, usually you hear people that are in the conservation movement more focused on endangered animals not like these pop art art icons right and so i was like well that's kind of interesting and so you know again with all these like cultural and literal influences that i had grown up with the beatniks were out in new york as well so jack kerouac and uh allen ginsburg were downtown staples and did quite a bit of exploring out west so they had this like duality in their life. They had this big city, right, lifestyle, but then they were also out West exploring and searching for truth. And so that just, again, put put it in my, my you know, I guess, developing brain or whatever, that like, hey, I could move to New York and maybe become part of this post-Andy Warhol factory, right? And mm-hmm. be involved in like the downtown nightlife and scene, and yet also still explore. Uh, because I had seen my literary influences do the same thing so that's what again that spark got me to New York I was like I'm going to move to the city I want to be in the city and have that that experience as well.
0: Did it did it not feel abrupt for you because at least a lot of people I know and a lot of hikers I meet nowadays they kind of do the opposite thing so if they started in a city and then hit a trail or two trails they start gravitating towards the small town they start trying to out ways to get out of the city, but it sounds like you did the opposite way. I mean, did it not feel like a little kind of cut off going back to big city life after trail?
1: Well, it was New York will always be uh, kind of a shocker, right? When you yeah. get there, it doesn't unless you grew up there more, or are a native New Yorker. I think just the big city itself was kind of overwhelming in the beginning, but it was also very exciting to me. So again, you know these countercultural influences were really appealing to me. It's kind of always been my guide. Um, you know, I've always kind of gone towards the fringe. And so, it, you know, and also constantly, I don't believe in false choices, that one is better than the other, because I often say this, I am equally comfortable in New York as comfortable as I am up that fourteen thousand feet on a mountain by myself, nice. and I don't think I don't think you need to say that the city is better or being outdoors is better. I think both can be, you know, paths to happiness, and they have been for myself. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I felt quite comfortable in the city once I got you know like a job and you know and I I started of understanding downtown and nightlife and um, you know meeting all these characters I had read about right in these books Mm -hmm. and you know it it was very exciting for me being in the city in the 90s was very very exciting Manhattan downtown nightlife was booming it was the air of the large uh, clubs and you know all that like house music so to me it was very exciting this little kid again from Kansas but you know like kind of continuing that like thread of you know false choices and being able to be a dual person and enjoying both the outdoors and city life i did on the weekends need to get out of out of the city right because i had known about the Appalachian trail and it's not that far from manhattan it's you know you take metro north and so i would go up um, on the weekends and sometimes if i wasn't out you know uh, I hate to use the word partying, but you know <laughs> enjoying myself with my friends, I would go by myself, right, up to the mountains, up to the Adirondacks. and uh, people in the city never understood that. But my friends that were from the mountains never understood me going to the the city. Hmm. And um, you know, and I, I think that might be because when when I was doing my introduction, I probably should have let people know that I am Hmong American and I'm an immigrant. So, I'm quite comfortable straddling multiple cultures because I've had to do it my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, I often describe myself as a floater because I can seamlessly move in between groups, you know, and and this whole idea of intersectional, you know, identity. I think as a person of color, you become quite adept at adapting and being moldable, if that's, you know, makes sense. You Mm -hmm. know, I I can move in between crowds and, you know, uh, crowds that might not seem Very are crowds that seem very opposed to each other and be comfortable in both.
2: So, do you want to just explain real quick uh, where Hmong people are from and stuff? Because I don't, I think a lot of people, it's lost on them.
1: Yeah, Yeah, sure. For sure. Absolutely. So, the Hmong are originally from South China through many generations of being persecuted for really just being who we are um, and wanting to live a free life and living our culture, had been persecuted and were eventually pushed out of South China into Southeast Asia. And so there is a large Hmong population in Laos, Thailand, and Vietnam. And so the Hmong were recruited in the 60s and 70s by the CIA to really Mm. fight this covert war, which eventually conflict that turned into the Vietnam War. And my father and family, we were quite involved in the war for the CIA and, and, and fighting and working for the Americans. So when the Americans pulled out in the mid 70s, they brought us over. And uh, um, that's who the Hmong are. Um, there are huge populations of Hmong out in Sacramento, California, and then also up in Minneapolis, as well as Denver. Now, the way that we ended up in Kansas, we were for the longest time, the only Hmong people here in Kansas is because my father's general was from the area. And he, through the church, the United Methodist Church, worked to really bring our family to the middle of Kansas.
0: So there was a purpose in going to Kansas instead of one of the big cities. Was it a it was a purpose because that's where he was from. I, I'm sorry, I'm a little confused on that. yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, my my father's general, the person that he reported to, who was American, Mm -hmm. was from the Midwest, was from Kansas, Wichita, Kansas. Oh, okay. And he was really involved with the United Methodist Church. And so, at that time, a lot of the uh, faith based communities were looking to sponsor families from Southeast Asia because it was a conflict. People were, you know, being persecuted, right, Mm -hmm. by the communists. And so, they, we we were just lucky to to be one of those families that was selected, and then my father's participation in the war essentially turned us into you know refugees, but political refugees. So we kind of moved to the front of the line.
0: How was how was the transition to Midwest America? That's kind of like I don't know in my in my perception, Midwest America is not a whole lot's happening. How how was that transition for the family?
1: Well, for myself, because I I was born in in Thailand, Mm -hmm. I was born in a a refugee camp uh, called Napong, which is also my namesake. Uh, My full name is Lapongla, And uh, I think it was quite difficult, especially for my mom and dad um, and my aunts and uncles that came over. Southeast Asia is quite mountainous. It's subtropical and it's also just very warm. And so I think when we first came it was in the middle of January. It was, oh. you know, I, I had just been born. And so maybe it was February, I think. Yeah, because I think I was like three weeks old when we came over. And so, you know, I think for them it was quite the adjustment. Uh, but, but thankfully, the town I grew up in, Hutchinson, Kansas, my the church really got involved in the community, also got really involved and helped support our family. Mm-hmm. They uh, allowed, you know, my I mean, they, they helped my parents get, Go to college, you know, get an education. They taught us how to speak the language, the customs. But, you know, it's really interesting because I, I recently had a conversation with my mother about this transition. You know, I was doing something else for this magazine and they, they had asked these questions and I wanted to know because I'd never really asked my mom about like, was, was she scared when she was fleeing um, back in Laos to, to, to get across the border into Thailand where it was safe? And I asked her, you know, if she was scared and she was like, no, not really. You know, I was never really scared to be in the jungles because she constantly walked across the the, Leo, the Laos jungle and crossed the Mekong River with, you know, me unborn and then my five brothers and sisters, right? By herself, wow. right? Yeah. And she survived all this by herself. And I, you know, I, I've always wanted to ask her, well, were you scared? You must've been scared. And she was like, no, not really, you know, cause I knew how to get food. I knew how to hide in the jungle. I, you know, I knew how to provide for my family. Mm-hmm. I was actually more scared when I got to Kansas and I didn't know how to go grocery shopping. Like that was such a foreign concept to her, you know, to go into a store to get food. So yeah, that, that I think that story is just really representative of just how difficult and challenging it is for immigrant families coming to the United States. Yeah. But I also want to just point out, you know, I think uh, the West and Americans in particular have this idea of these immigrants coming into, you know, and coming into the United States as being completely impoverished and uneducated. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, my father went to college in Russia and, you know, speaks like five different languages. Wow. And, and so he's quite educated. And, you know, so when we came over, we also, we, we had names. And that's one of the only reasons why my mom also survived, because she had to during checkpoints bribe the guards to let her pass, right? Mm. And the only way she, she was able to do that is because of the gold and silver that they had, you know, to, to barter with these guards, I guess. Mm. And so, you know, also very famous, my mom will always say, famously will say, you know, when people say, You must be so proud of your family to come here and build this life. And my mom always says, you know, we actually lost everything when we came here, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, so, so it's kind of, you know, just perspective, I guess. That's
0: quite an origin story. Wow. Um, When your mom, excuse me, <clears throat> when your mom was traveling through the jungle, is it, at least from my perception, is it when fear is like so intense, it's just can't be allowed in? Has she ever talked on that? Is like, by being able to continue <laughs> forward, she just had to completely shut out any other fear, because it would, at that point, sure. be, at that point, like, cripple her to the point that she couldn't do these travels, so she kind of had to just shut it off, and then the abruptness of getting to the U.S., like, going grocery shopping for small things, is once you're not in that kind of crippling fear, you have and the opportunity to think, and you have the opportunity to kind of feel again, so everything kind of feels more.
1: Yeah, I think anyone that faces adversity in their life what 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 is the option yeah. right you either you either choose to continue right and I'll, I'll even bring it back to through hiking i mean there's quite a bit of adversity when you're out in the woods mm-hmm. you know and what is your choice you you continue to put one foot in front of the other right mm-hmm. and so i i think for my mom in a similar way she had no other option right uh, she had no option but to continue forward. And I actually draw a lot of inspiration, not only from my family, but in particular, my mother, whenever I'm struggling out in the woods. Like if my mom can cross a, a jungle in Laos and yeah. cross the Mekong River, I can get up this ridge, you know, I, yeah. and, and that, that I, I, I say that over to myself over and over and over when I'm feeling like you know, I'm not wanting to get out of my tent because it might be sprinkling or whatever, <laughs> you know, I, you know, I can get out and, and do some hiking. This no rain policy is ridiculous. So yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, it is a motivator and, um, you know, and I think you have to have a sense of humor too. Mm-hmm. My mom is probably one of the funniest people I know. Mm-hmm. And one of the quickest people I I'm fortunate to know. Mm-hmm. And she found a lot of, I think, to entertain my older brothers and sisters, because they were infants, right? Mm. And, you know, I'll share this. You can keep it in or not. But uh, part of a strategy for a lot of home families when they were crossing um, the, the jungles, so kids cry. And mm. so one thing that they used to use was opium to make them go to sleep, the children, right? Mm-hmm. So that because if they're crying in the middle of the woods, the Viet Cong communists will know where you are and they'll come and kill you and so (laughs) my mom with this like you know this sense of humor would sometimes say you know that measurement of opium we used on you (laughs) You so 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 it's that dark sense of humor and and making light of the situation i think is also survival a tactic that you know people use um and it certainly has carried over to to me <laughs> so, she, yeah.
0: she's saying well we shouldn't shouldn't have gone that far because now you're just hiking across the country year after year after year <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly
1: right i probably shouldn't be dropping drug jokes i'm sorry i don't know what kind of rating this podcast is it's I, it's a free
0: <laughs> it's a free flow man i usually try not to cut out anything unless you guys specifically ask for it to be cut out um it's just conversational oh, sure. i just like seeing where it goes
2: man right on yeah okay, cool yeah so why don't we transition back to your hiking yeah. okay <laughs> we should ask what what was uh your mom's base weight on her trek
1: <laughs> well i think i was probably like i don't know i'm really bad with <laughs> with um <laughs> like the whole like reproductive like process so I don't even know how like heavy infants are like what is it an embryo and stuff weighs I must have been like what five pounds so I my mom my mom was ultra light like at five pounds if,
0: if only Ray Jardine's book had come out a little bit earlier it could have been just a powerhouse through there oh yeah
1: yeah my mom totally influenced Ray I mean that's widely
0: known <laughs> that's common knowledge yeah you heard it here yeah, yeah. so I, I guess we could bounce into a little bit of the yeah family part of it um bounce a lot sure. into the family part of it so what did your family and kind of friends think as you started kind of transitioning your life towards um just adventure and kind of spending just a mass amount of time in the outdoors and hiking and through hiking what were kind of the emotions yeah. going through
1: well, in the beginning, they didn't know because I didn't tell anyone <laughs> that, it, <laughs> that I had,
3: answer. you know, this
1: 19-year-old kid stuck my thumb out and made my way out to California. Yeah. Uh, and and when I moved to New York, I also didn't tell them that I was, you know, leaving the University of Kansas to go to New York and um, I would figure it out. So it's interesting because my family, in particular, my dad has always taught us to be very independent thinkers and uh, yet they you know i'm a child of immigrants and so there's always that need to you know do better than the generation before there's always that pressure especially within southeast asian culture to become a doctor or a successful business person right so so i i I do have that as one of my foundations and influences from my family but they didn't understand it they didn't understand it at all they thought i was going to die You know, um, one of my mom's worst fears was that I would be camped underneath a bridge, and so many years later, when a when the smartphones came out, one of the first images I texted to her was me under a bridge. (laughs) You know, I was like, let's just let's just get that over with, so that all your fears have been met and you can just be happy for me, right? (laughs) 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 This was many years ago, okay, Uh but I think what was really interesting (laughs) for my father and myself. So I have this um, bamboo spoon I carry, Constantine. Okay. And it's, I've had it for like 15 years. Mm. And uh, I remember very distinctly being at home in Kansas and I was trying to whittle it down to save weight, right? Mm -hmm. And my dad was looking at me and my dad is, uh, he he was a lab tech in a dental office. And so he has all those like grinding gear or grinding uh, machines. Yeah. And he was just looking at me struggling like with this like knife and he was just like just give it to me (laughs) and and he this is i think when he finally understood or accepted you know this this through hiking or this outdoors exploring kid that he kind of raised he he took that that spoon and he smoothed it out for me and did it perfect and I have that spoon to this day. And I feel like that is really the first time that he accepted it. Um, I also, you know, was able to at one point do a little bit of, yeah. You know, I got sponsored by, you know, a financial company and they gave me a little bit of money. And he's was like, oh, well, you can do some hiking and get paid for it, that's kind of cool. And I was like, well, it's not really getting paid for. Mm-hmm. I mean, they gave me like a couple of thousand dollars. That's going to last like a couple of months. But yeah, so I mean, I think over time they've come to uh, be okay with me being out in the wilderness. But I've always been a strange kid. So <laughs> I, I assume that they probably still think that I'm that strange little kid. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: <laughs> you, you are,
1: definitely. Okay.
0: <laughs> I, I wasn't going to say anything because I had a feeling Legend was going to hop in there with something
1: there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Always. You, you always have to, you have to be childlike, right? Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: yeah for sure. I, I mean, you just, you're playing in the woods for months at a time. I mean, it's the most childlike thing that somehow we all like to do. Yeah.
1: For sure. Right, right. And I think articulating what we do to people that don't actually do it, it's it's that, that in itself is very difficult. And yeah. so just, you know, just, you know, take into account like my family and their history of, Surviving, you know, the the jungles of Laos to get here, and you know, and now their kid wants to go play in the woods. So, I mean, I'm sure there was some hurdles there that they had to get over. <laughs>
0: no. From yeah, and e- even from our conversation here shortly, it's like it doesn't sound like this is your personality. But you you said something about like needing to do better than the generation before. Do you put weight? Mm. Do you put weight in the miles that you're going after? Because you're getting close to fifty thousand and. I know necessarily there wouldn't be any comparison in your direct family with those amount of miles and those amount of hikes and through hikes, but is that part of the reason? It doesn't, again, from your personality, it doesn't sound like you're putting weight into that, but I would be curious what that feeling is.
1: Well, um, and it's it's interesting that Legend's on here. I I mean, I think when Legend and I met, when was it? Legend, like 2011? Yeah, 2011, yep. And so that was my third PCT when I had done half and half. Um, and then I actually ran it oh, almost ran into you later, 2015, 16. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. 16, yep. Yeah. Constant, you bring up this number. And I was hesitant to, I, I recently did this interview with a magazine and they were pretty focused on this number and what I had hyped. And so I don't generally lead with what I've done because I don't think it's important, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, we all drink water. At some point, we're going to have to use the restroom. Uh, you get out there, you hike. You know, at some point, the miles are just going to add up over time, right? Yeah. So I'm not really focused on numbers. Now, I did early on, on my first through hike, um, and I call my trail dad. His name is Dharma. You know, at the time, I didn't even actually even know this, but he had already hiked all three big trails. He was a double, triple crowner already when I met him, but didn't know that. And I remember him telling me about miles and what his goals were. And so, yeah, that, that kernel thought was definitely there. And I think as the, over the years, as the miles have accumulated at one point, I was like, you know, I might, I might try to do 50,000 miles before 50. Hmm. And I'm a type of person that like, I don't like to announce things beforehand. I kind of like to announce them when I'm almost done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why shoot yourself in the foot. Right. But you know, I bring up the meeting legend because I don't even think when we spoke legend, I don't know what I told you. I have a terrible memory, but I doubt I told you how many miles I hiked or I, did I lead off with that?
2: <laughs> no, you told me that I shouldn't filter my water anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, to answer your question, Constantine, it's not, I'm not a materialistic person. Yeah. Money doesn't really, you know, matter to me. I mean, it's just kind of amazing. And, yeah. But, like, these goals and accolades and awards that people get to doing something I think is just very not interesting, actually. Mm -hmm. Fine. That's great. That's great. You know uh, if someone thinks, you know, 50,000 or a hundred thousand miles is impressive, I I think, okay. Yeah, it is. But you know, again, you know, you drink enough water, you're going to have to take a piss at some point. So that's just the way I look at it.
2: I had a, so I had what a, does what does winning outsider of the Year, or being an outsider outside magazine person of the year mean to you? Then
0: <laughs> you're poking you're poking him now, legend.
1: <laughs> you didn't want to define <laughs> okay, it that so, way. So, so, do you want the honest? No, dude.
2: Okay, I I, I will. I, how I, about I, what it? How about what you or why? You were into doing it. I think there is, like, a really good reason here and stuff. Why don't we go with that? We can make fun of everything, but I think there is a lot here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. In in all seriousness, I I was okay with kind of, I guess, working with outside and and with legend on this because, you know, in a sense, it is, you know, contributing to representation outdoors, which I think is important. Mm Mm-hmm. Recently, with all the COVID fear-mongering within the uh, AAPI community, Asian American Pacific Islander community, there have been very brutal physical attacks on elders in large cities. And so I had a very visceral reaction to that because I could see my parents being attacked in that way. Mm. And so, you know, I, I was planning on doing my third CDT last, yeah, last year. And I, I had never really fundraised for an organization just because, Constantine, I know people think through hiking is this kind of cool, like, you know, oh, man, it's this thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you just have to remember I come from a place where, you know, it was counterculture influences that got me into through hiking and exploring. Yeah. And at my core, I will always be that. And through hiking to me will always be kind of this transgressive, like, act that violates you know accepted and imposed boundaries and so that's the way i view through hiking is through that lens mm-hmm. not about trying to popularize it or make it something that's cool but anyway I, I decided that i would raise money because i had seen other people raise money right walking and um i decided to uh or I reached out to um the Cali- or, excuse me the chinese affirmative action They're an organization based out of California that uh, started the Stop AAPI Hate Campaign. It's a hashtag campaign. Yeah. Just really about educating people, right, about, you know, there is AAPI hate. It might not be overt, and it often isn't, but they wanted to have a conversation about it. And I was like, you know, I'm going to be in a pretty unique situation where I'm in these small towns and hitchhiking and, you know, I wanted to have just this conversation with the outdoor community and uh, the through hikers about what was happening. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I think this outsider thing came about, and um, legend approached me as well. And my first initial reaction was no, I'm not interested, mm-hmm. um, because that's, again, just always, <laughs> you know,
0: it, it sounds like it goes against your counterculture mentality using a spotlight or using a platform when you kind of just want to go out there and, and walk and go out there and hike.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so um, what I think about it is, I guess I'm just one of the outsidiest outsiders. I don't know. (laughs) I'm dirtier than others. I I don't know. You know, but it it does afford you a certain platform where you can kind of talk about, you know, what's happening. And since that's come out, you know, I've I've done a couple of calls. And even last year, um, you know, I I got pretty involved in some of the uh, diversity and inclusion at the uh trail association level Mm -hmm. i got involved with that because you know you you hike you meet people right Mm -hmm. and uh, you know uh, i am i was for the longest time you know i i remember just like early on not only was i often the only through hiker but i was always the only person of color and you know and i i met a lot of people that are now working at all these different trail associations so they reached out to me and ask if I would get involved and have conversations, and so so it does afford you a certain platform if you want to say that. But yeah, so so I guess that's I don't know if I answered your question or not. That's why.
2: Yeah. Well, and you're 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 old too, so you have a lot of experience <laughs> to share with uh, a lot of people.
0: Yeah, and, and certainly. So okay. back to where this qu- question brought the question that brought us here is uh-huh. I, I kind of knew your answer, but. I wanted to hear how you defined it because I, I I felt that you didn't put any weight into miles or uh, these false Mm -hmm. titles that we fall underneath. So I I really loved your answer. I mean, it was like your, your metaphor was taking a drink and you'll have to piss. I've used the metaphor before. It's like, it's just a a consequential byproduct of liking to walk. Like if you just like to walk, stuff's going to happen. Miles are going to accumulate, but yeah, we usually don't focus on that on this show. I just wanted to, I I really wanted to hear your answer around it okay. and outside of it so i, I love how you touched on it legend do we got any oh. jokes from you
2: yeah i mean do you still not filter <laughs> your water i remember we met <laughs> and you just dipped your battery bottle into this like gross puddle and you told me that i didn't need to filter water anymore
1: Ew. Like that is a- funny
2: I didn't no, and said. I've had you already a
1: four times since then, so thank you. <laughs> now was this before this must have been after I stepped over you then, is that correct? This
2: is yeah, this is like a day after and we were right in front of a group of like oh. a, <laughs> quite a few people and you, they were all filtering and you just yeah. said, No, don't filter, let's keep going and we just dipped our water bottles in okay. and kept going.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't know I don't know if you know you know how legend like that but yeah. it was actually kind of a, a fun story i yeah yeah anyway <laughs> but
0: you can tell it. He, he's he's told me it oh. um as well but i yeah i, I would mean, love hearing
1: it oh sure uh so uh when was this so yeah 2011 and it was in the on the edge of the mojave desert i i get up early it's just kind of the way i've always kept that schedule get up early you know Getting in those we're miles before the heat
2: 4 a.m. early we're talking 4 a.m. early
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. okay, okay there's there's a yeah. difference between early and early like i like getting up at like 5 or 6 but 4 a.m. you're in the nighttime you're it's the it's the previous day man oh yeah that's it, too early yeah if
1: there's if there's any cockerel crowing you're <laughs> the day's over already so um oh. yeah I, i'm up very very early Jeez. and um you know i come around this bend kind of on this little ledge and there's this kid in the middle of the of the trail and he had kind of fallen halfway out of his sleeping bag and so you know i was like god what a mess man this kid is a mess he's like (laughs) never gonna make it um so i i I literally walked around him and stepped over his hand that was kind of a little bit out and then so later that day or mid morning i'm i'm climbing the 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 Trail and up this like you know ridge. And you know, I'm not a particularly fast hiker, but I can move, you know, Mm -hmm. I can I can keep a three, three and a half mile pace if I have to. And uh I turn around and there's this kid with this enormous backpack on, and he's flying up the mountain. (laughs) I mean, and when I say flying, he's walking really, really fast. And so (laughs) it turns out to be legend. And so I don't know, we just kind of hit it off, I think, and We like to, you know, take the piss and, you know, laugh, and I always enjoy that, and I always enjoy people that are self-deprecating, and legend certainly is that, and, um, you know, we just kind of started hiking together, and I might have taught him a couple of things that were really bad, like not filtering water, maybe it sounds like, (laughs) but but yeah, that's that's how we met.
2: Yeah, we got to Kennedy Meadows, and he was like, my external frame packet broke and he spent a couple yeah. hours just like why do you have three pairs of pants i haven't even you <laughs> wear them in the last week yeah
1: yeah we did do an impromptu uh, a shakedown our buddy mutual buddy well actually canada Doug. he and i like to joke around that we're his, we're his co-parents but um <laughs> Tick legends we found this old backpack in like the gear uh, the, the, the the hiker box and we <laughs> I ended up sewing, I think, pieces of it uh, with dental floss and kind of turning this backpack into this Frankenstein type thing that might work in the Sierra Nevada. And I think it worked for a while, Legend, right? And then it, yeah. it fell apart.
2: I got to Mammoth, so it made it like 200 miles. And I did have some back spasms and I had to resew it every <laughs> night. But it was better than my external frame pack where the frame
1: literally broke because I was carrying too much oh man like, I feel, <laughs> yeah the kid was not um, he, he I don't know how heavy your backpack was Legend, I think it was in the 50s oh, 50 yeah. pounds or more maybe for sure right yeah um, But so, you know the filtering the water yes I do filter <laughs> my water <laughs> especially it depends on where I am right in the desert I generally will but we were up in you know past kidney met oh no were we up at kidney met no 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 we were, no, we were still we in were... the desert
2: yeah, you gave, you gifted me a Buddha filter, which is just a piece of mesh <laughs> taped to a Gatorade cap.
1: <laughs> Actually, I, I, I forgot about that. <laughs> yes. It was my That's, gift.
2: That was right.
1: So, yeah. You got sick that day? or after No, that, you...
2: I, I didn't get sick on that trip, but since then I've gotten sick just following your advice.
1: <laughs> is, you know, it's interesting. I, I've never had Giardia, and I've drank some pretty crappy water but I think it's because i'm I'm from Southeast Asia, and we kind of just you know we're the type of people that eat the whole animal. so you know I have a pretty strong stomach <laughs> can process things I think
0: <laughs> and and some people are actually predispositioned not to get Giardia. like there's a gut uh, bacteria that some people have that um, uh, actually actually predispositions you not to get sick as often
3: oh okay. okay. so.
0: I know. From what I got from that introduction, too, was you gifted legend Giardia, back spasms, a Buddha filter, and a beautiful friendship was made.
2: Yeah. I don't know about beautiful, but at least a friendship. <laughs> sure, sure. We're friends. We're, we've We've had this tennis match between us scheduled for over 10 years now, and wow. it hasn't happened yet.
1: You someday. don't want any. You don't want any of my serve. I'm telling you. Mm. Oh,
2: I do. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Are you good at ping pong? Yeah, I'm good at ping pong too. I'm gonna wipe the floor with you in every game okay. we play. <laughs> every game.
1: Well, I think. I, I think you had mentioned you might be coming to hike in Missouri, uh, or not Missouri, Arkansas. So if Arkansas, you do that, yeah, I'm gonna come down and meet you, and uh, we'll play.
2: I'll pack my tennis racket and just have it sticking out of my backpack for the whole hike.
0: <laughs> well, well, to give the advantage, you're going to have to drink some unfiltered uh, Arkansas water before playing, too. That's the
2: only way.
0: That makes the game super fun. So, uh, Little Buddha, I know you started yep. Started kind of way back when. Well, at least from my perception. I know it's not that long. So, when you were getting into this, again, we kind of touched on it earlier with um, uh-huh. a lot of the authors you were reading and everything. But who, who would have had the biggest impact on you in this kind of lifestyle? Um, who kind of showed you there was a way to live this outdoor lifestyle?
1: Well, it, it 100% is my trail dad, Dharma, uh, mm-hmm. who, again, I, I met for the first time on my uh, first hike on the John Muir Trail. Um, you know, when I met him, I actually did not like him at all. <laughs> it was uh, – hikers of that generation are very direct, Yep. And, you know, this little kid, 19, showing up in Yosemite Valley saying that he's going to hike to the end of, you know, Whitney on the John Muir Trail with this teeny tiny backpack. And, and, and Dharma was pretty ultralight then, but you have to remember in the 90s, that's kind of when ultralight kind of began, when Ray popularized it. And so the generation before, it was all about carrying gear that you would need to survive in like the middle of the snow storm or something, you know, it was heavy stuff. And so he looked me up and down and said, you're not going to make it. You're going to you don't have enough gear is exactly what he told me (laughs) Mm -hmm. that I didn't have enough gear. And it was interesting because for whatever reasons, I think because our pace was very similar and I could not out hike this old man <laughs> it's like he would, you know at the time i think he was in his 60s uh maybe maybe 50s but we ended up like at the same campsites and ended up at guitar lake right before mount whitney right and i remember dharma telling me hey you know tomorrow is pretty much the end of the hike do you want to get up like and do a whitney sunrise Hike. And I was like, well, what's that? And he was like, oh, well, you get up at like three o'clock in the morning, we hike to the top. Oh, legend, we did this too. I forgot about that. <laughs> Little Buddha. This is the story you have to tell next. Yeah, wow. Okay. L- Little Buddha's yeah, like, it's so, 3 a.m.
0: I've been awake for five hours.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so he was like, you, you know, you basically hike to the top of Whitney and you watch the sun come up over the Mojave Desert. Mm-hmm. So I was like, sure, let's do it. And, you know, and I was up there, and this is also how I got my trail name. Um, I was just up there uh, sitting in a very comfortable position, which is lotus for me. Nineteen is also when I started losing my hair, so I shaved my head that that year, hmm. and I'm I looked, I guess, very much like a Buddha. And, and Dharma just turned to me and said, "My God, you look just like a little Buddha." And I hadn't, you know, gotten a trail name before then, and so I was like, "That's it." And he's like, "Yeah, I think that's going to work for you." And so I, I got that trail name from him, but he really taught me. A lot about ultralight hiking and the years following we maintained a friendship interestingly i didn't even know his real name for maybe 15 years um and the only way i could contact him was at first writing to him i i know this might sound odd but email wasn't that popular back then either so we would like correspond via letters right and then later email obviously he never had like social media and stuff like that but yeah he's the one who really inspired me and taught me and said hey Imported imparted some wisdom to me as well, but really got me to think about, like, I could live this lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, I, I was this kid that thought I was so cool because I had read this book on the road. And I was telling him about it one day, and I remember him just kind of looking at me and letting me finish my story. He's like, yeah, that book's okay, but Jack's other book, Dharma Buns, is actually better. And if you've never read it, Dharma Buns is the quintessential through hiking book it's the manual i think um you know so 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 yeah he, he definitely was the person who inspired me
0: and isn't dharma also a hindu term i i guess i wouldn't know specifically but isn't it one of like the laws of hinduism and then hinduism and buddhism kind of are very similar in some retrospect so you got named from yeah. somebody that was named after a hindu law and then in buddhism so yeah. you, got, you guys were having like two sides of the same coin somewhat
1: well yeah it it kind of does just kind of like match up really interestingly um Mm -hmm. you know and and, you know the people that come into your life i think it's it's kind of quite beautiful Mm -hmm. um dharma was i believe buddhist i i want to preface this by saying i am not Mm -hmm. um even though my child is little buddha i (laughs) i am if anything probably Taoist, okay and i say that because I I could never be a Buddhist because I'm too lazy. You know, they have very rigid um, practice. And my understanding of Dharma, uh, so the Buddha taught three things, right? If you're familiar with the three jewels of Buddhism, it's the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha is what it's called. And Mm -hmm. so it's the teaching. Dharma to me has always meant teachings, Mm -hmm. and that's what I understand it. Um, But you're correct. I mean, those uh, religions share a lot of the same words. And so I'm not sure what it means in Hindu. But I do know in Buddhism, Dharma means the teachings of the Buddha. And it's one of the three jewels of Buddhism. He was the one, again, that really got me to start looking into this lifestyle. And if you guys, uh, Constantine, if you're not familiar, but like the whole beatnik culture also, they were all about looking into spirituality and seeking the truth. And so like Jack Kerouac and Allen Ginsberg, you know, they did go out into the West and they did do these spiritual treks. And so for me, that's kind of what the trail is. Mm -hmm. It's this continuation of that, right? I I feel like the trail, you know, some people say the trail is life, the trail is like an adventure, the trail is whatever. But for me, the trail has always been a time to Mm self-reflect, but also a time to really reconnect with humanity and I say that because I feel like you know I think a lot of people think through hiking is about getting away from people and society and communing with nature Mm -hmm. and I think it's all those things but I feel like the irony of through hiking is and I hope this resonates with you guys because we are quite dependent on the communities we walk through it really restores your faith in humanity because you experience kindness and, you know, it's quite humbling to get up to the middle of a road and stick your thumb out and ask someone to pick you up, basically, right? Asking for help. Mm-hmm. And so that human connection there is very, for me, it's a great reminder that humanity is redeemable. And when you're through hiking, that comes in spades.
0: Yeah, it, it's like it's like hiking is the conduit for an internal journey, but also community of where you're passing through. Um, yeah, I've definitely noticed that sure. a lot in my own hikes as well is you meet somebody and within 10 minutes I mean within 10 minutes even in Wisconsin that where people don't even know about the trail somebody let me use their car to go drive to a Walmart and I just met this person and it's kind of like yeah it restores your faith in humanity I I completely understand what you're saying
1: for sure man I mean I've been in situations where I've I've been just like walking down a roadwalk. Florida trail actually Mm -hmm. and these people pulled over and you know just asked what I was doing and I guess I was exuding like happiness and you know like 20 minutes later they're coming the other direction and they they pulled over and I'm like thinking well this could kind of go two two ways right (laughs) you know I'm either gonna have to defend myself or it's gonna be the best thing and you know long story short these people just were like you are like so happy and we want to understand this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I became great friends with them. They invited me back to their place. They were from Canada and, you know, fed me and uh, housed me for a few days. And it was totally spontaneous. And and I, I love that about being out on the trail and exploring because, you know, we're so exposed, I feel, as through hikers And, you know, um, I, I think you have to have that experience, that humbling experience of asking for help, even if you don't really need it. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people can just read it and say, you look like you need to talk to someone today. So, yeah, it, it's a pretty cool experience.
0: It's not necessarily being at the mercy of others, but it's being open to what's ahead of you. It's being open to the next interaction. And when, you, when you're out walking through whatever trail it is, whatever road it is, it's kind of like, you're just in the environment and the interactions that you have are not predefined for you but they're they're kind of up to you and they're kind of up to the person you're it's kind of a balance between both people at a certain aspect it's up to how you're exuding your specific emotions how they are and you kind of learn as you go there
1: yeah it's a. I I call it a trust contract right When, when two strangers meet and decide to trust each other yeah yeah
0: legend we lost you did we actually?
2: I'm here, I was just eating some chips, just replenishing <laughs> calories. Yeah.
0: We're going into the deep ph- philosophical talks, and Legend's like, yeah, I'm going to open oh, a bag no. of chips.
2: Yeah, I put it on mute and was eating chips, but I was enjoying listening to like <laughs> Buddhism and stuff too.
0: I put it on mute. <laughs> oh yeah,
2: yeah. Well, um, now you got a view of what my personality is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay.
0: So little Buddha, we're keeping you a little bit above that hour so. Yeah, I, I didn't even hit half of the questions I wanted to, but that's absolutely perfect mm-hmm. for this episode, doing what makes you happy. So last question sure. as we kind of wrap it up. Again, I, I don't even know if you would have an answer for this one. Is is there an end point you're trying to reach? Is there a goal that you're looking for within this type of life, within these miles, within these trails? Um, yeah, is there an end point you're looking for?
1: Well, I mean, I think, uh, and I don't say this lightly, I, I am... my core truth finder right i want to be out there and experience you know what the truth is you know and 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 that's my own personal truth but specific to like just through hiking you know the fifty thousand miles before 50 is a goal and and i might uh, most likely will get that i've got one more eastern continental trail and then that that puts me way over the 2000 mark that i need you know, there are other trails I've never hiked. You know, there are, I think, like, 11 National Scenic Trails, and there are a couple there that I haven't hiked. And so I figure once I finish this, um, I, I am even hesitant to say it, but, like, this hiking the Big Three three times, or the ECT is one of them, the Triple Triple, mm-hmm. uh, I think after I retire, I'll probably hike some of the National Scenic Trails. <laughs> like, I hear that North Country Trail is pretty cool. <laughs> and so... You know, yeah. I mean, I think I will continue to hike as long as I can, and uh, I will continue to live this lifestyle as long as I can, until I want to stop. And then, when I want to stop, I'll just stop.
0: Okay. You you said retire. I guess we can bounce into that real quickly. I also want to unpack what you said as well. It was it was good. But sure. You say retire. Um, do you have a classical, defi- like a classically defined career? Um, what what have you been doing for finances over these years?
1: yeah sure so i in in new york i i worked at um american express i did marketing for them wow and over the years what i've done is uh to kind of fund this lifestyle you know i'm, I'm basically like all the other through hikers that have decided to do this i'm a hustler
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh you know i'll i'll take marketing gigs or consulting gigs and sometimes i work jobs you know for a couple of years my most recent job i peddled npr in kansas and colorado I was a salesman and I mean, just this past week, I was a dog sitter, <laughs> so, oh. so the range is quite wide. And you know, I, 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 I wanna be very careful how I say this because it is very privileged and I understand that. I come from a family that is supportive of who I am. Oh. And that allows me to kind of have this lifestyle because when I'm hiking, while I'm not materialistic and don't own a lot of things, I do have like a car, right? Mm-hmm. And I park it at my family's house and I do have storage. I don't have a lot of things, but I do have storage of like, you know, my, my, I don't know, uh, my, uh, my high school certificate is in there. My college degree is in there, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that some people don't have that. Right. And so what retirement looks like to me is having just enough to be able to be happy, and what I envision that to be is a tiny home somewhere in the country, possibly up in the mountains, with just enough to survive. That, that, that to me, is going to be my retirement.
0: Okay, that's, that's what reti- you meant by my retirement. I get that. Yeah. But I was also thinking th- there's, there are two very far ends of the spectrum, working at American Express in New York City and then uh, being a dog sitter. So I think you could probably tie <laughs> yeah. them in. If you shaved American Express, the emblem, in the dog's hair, you could advertise at the same time.
1: <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yeah man I mean yeah Remember- you, 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 you guys are both hikers and um, I think we're all just kind of hustling I mean yeah. I think there are ways to make money through affiliated marketing or like being a brand ambassador although a lot of times those are gear sponsorships. Yeah. But um it's a it's a lifestyle that uh you have to want it because I, I've never met a rich through hiker. You know, I've met people that have retired and have worked their whole life and you know can kind of fund their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh I've met some really wealthy section hikers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not no, I don't want to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's but really, people that have, you know, maybe written a couple of books. <clears throat> but anyway, uh so yeah. Uh Uh You you know, I think there are many different ways to fund this lifestyle and you just have to kind of figure it out for yourself. For me, it's about being very simple. Simplify, simplify, simplify. I don't own a lot of things. I keep my finances pretty tight. You know, um, I live a very utilitarian lifestyle. I don't buy things that I don't need. Um, And that works for me.
0: It's how you put framework and value into what you're looking for out of life. And like you said, we're all hikers. That question, a lot of the answers are it's just puzzle piecing in. It's always different because we're all hustlers. We're all just trying to piece together the finances. We're trying Mm -hmm. to piece together the time we're spending on trail. And everybody's kind of route there looks a little different. But once they're there, it's the same because now we're just all walking. So, yeah, I almost didn't get to that question, but you touched on it. So, thank you. Right on, man. Yeah. Legend... I'm gonna start wrapping up the show unless you are still muting us and eating chips. Unless you, you wanted to unpack that a little bit.
2: Let's. I think no. Let's wrap it up. I think we've had way too much for one show.
0: It is a lot, little Booty, You are a wealth of just philosophical information, man. I could dive into the brain for for hours. But instead of oh, doing okay.
2: that, instead of doing that, we don't need to. We don't need to inflate his ego.
0: It's not inflating <laughs> the ego, man. It's it's genuinely. I like talking about the ph- philosophy. Phil can't even say the word. I like talking about I the... I can tell you do,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> I can tell you do. Okay, Legend, can you put us back on mute, please?
1: <laughs> uh, no, it, it's been a pleasure, Constantine. You know, I never know what to expect from these things, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been a pleasure, and hopefully I haven't rambled on a little too long, but uh, the ram- yeah. The yeah, rambles anyway, right on. <laughs> the
0: rambles are what it's about, man, and I don't right even on. know if I should wrap it up this way, because it sounds like you don't put weight into this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I turn over the platform to you to let people know where they can find you, learn a little bit more about you, um, interact with you. So the platform's yours.
1: Oh, um, what is it? Um, oh, I'm on Instagram at uh, Little Buddha Hikes, and that's that's probably the best place to to get in touch with me. I have a Facebook page, but I don't, I'm not really on that that much. Yeah, um, social media is interesting to me, but yeah. You can reach out that way.
0: Yeah, social media and me have a conflicted relationship as well. Um, I think with, <laughs> I think with every hiker, there's a little bit of that in us. So yeah. I'm going to wrap up the show. Legend, any, any things before I wrap it up?
2: No, this was great. Good job, and it worked smoothly with all three of us.
0: Yeah, I'm very surprised how smooth it actually went.
2: <laughs> I'm not. out oh. of confidence.
1: Uh. Yeah, yeah. Well, he threatened me, so that's why I'm here. Not me. <laughs>
0: He wow <laughs> <laughs> no, let's, let's just air it all out here well uh, <laughs> thank you so much little buddha I really really right enjoyed on. it man well that's it folks we hope you enjoyed this week's chat and a little bit of trail maintenance so to say as this podcast is just growing if you are interested or you yourself or you know of somebody that wants to tell their story and wants to share about who they are off trail so that they, they can make on trail happen please email us email us at off at gmail.com and we would love to have a conversation with you all until next time see you off trail